The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bible, would you open to James chapter 3? James chapter 3. We're in week two of a series entitled The Power of Words. The Power of Words. And it's from the book of James. And this morning we're starting the second part. Last week we looked at our words as containers. How many of you guys were here last week? Raise your hand. Let me see what we're working with here. I think like nobody from first service was here last week. I kept referencing the sermon. They were like, what, what, what? You have to go back and listen to it. Leave now, go to your car. Anyway, uh, so we're part two and we talked about our words as containers last week. And today I wanna talk about one of the things our words do. Not only do they contain the power of life and death, not only are our words containers to deliver doses of life or doses of death. And so it matters that we activate restraint and just don't let our words flow and our tongue flow with all of the negativity that could express, uh, but instead we activate restraint. This morning, I wanna talk about our words um, that they direct, they direct the course of our life. And in fact, it's so important we recognize the tools that God gives us to uh, tame our tongue so that what we say directs our life in a positive direction. Before we jump into the passage though, it's the second week of the month. And as you know, if you're part of Christ Church, we are 16 months into a 24 month generosity initiative so that we can expand our campus and build a larger adult sanctuary and then um, reuse, repurpose this entire facility for the use of our children, which we're very excited about making room for them. And so um, we have... Month, month of May in the bag. Our goal has been to exceed 100% of our pledged amount. And uh, May was no different, $29,845 or 220% of our pledged amount for the month of May, which is just fantastic news. Part of the reason that percentage is so high and continues to be is that um, I'm adjusting the pledged amount down every month because more and more and more people are, are fulfilling their pledges early. So unexpected blessing from the Lord or an opportunity to do that. And instead of continuing those monthly offerings, people are sending the balance of their offering in. And on top of that, new people are adding to the campaign and people who have already fulfilled their, their commitment are continuing to give. And so we're seeing very, very strong months. And this is great news as we enter now the final third of this initiative. And more good news, we've been working with our lender, Christian Financial Resources, and uh, we have opened and will be closing a construction loan, but we've locked in the interest rate in ahead of what's expected to be continued interest rate hikes. And so our construction loan uh, is locked. And so we have a competitive interest rate that is gonna help us to be able to afford this loan. Uh, it's amazing when loans get big, how much that interest rate matters. And um, so they were gracious enough to say, let's go ahead and close this early so we can get this good rate as they knew it was gonna go up. And so that's great news. We're working with our lawyer and our contractor to finalize the details of our contract. And then we'll go into drawings and permitting and keep you guys posted, but all good stuff. And so we celebrate that. And thank you for your continued generosity, not only to the initiative, but to the general fund of Christ Church so we can fulfill our mission and ministries and also support our ministry partners. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, James chapter three, you guys ready? You guys awake? You need some more coffee? Here we go, James chapter three. Now, we're going to actually read from verse 1 to verse 8 instead of verse 12 like we did last week. And before we read, can I confess something to you guys? I have to tell you something. So uh, several years ago, I heard a preacher was preaching on lying. And so he challenged his uh, audience the previous week to go home and read Mark 17. And then he opened his lying sermon 
asking people how many people read Mark 17. And for the people who raised their hand, he said, liar, there is no Mark 17. <laughs> and I just got a kick out of that. And um, so I decided I was going to pull that on everybody in this series. And so last week I told everybody in all three services to go home and read all six chapters of James. And my plan was this morning to ask you how many of you read all six chapters, only to bust you and humiliate you publicly, which is something I always enjoy doing and I have done less and less of uh, as I've been walking with Christ and in Christian ministry. Uh, and I didn't really think about this. And this week the Holy Spirit like really like cranked down hardcore in my heart and was just saying like, you are mean and petty and that's a bullying thing to do. And that is making fun of people and it will embarrass them. And that is not what you're supposed to be doing. And so I'm here to confess to you that um, there are five chapters of James and I'm not gonna humiliate anybody publicly or at least attempt to. And that was indeed my plan. And so I confess, please forgive me. And this is what happens when you decide to be a preacher. God has full access to humiliate you publicly. So I still think you should read James uh, in its entirety repeatedly, and I think it'll open your eyes to some parts of this series that we're going to be in from chapter three. So let's read verses uh, one to eight of chapter three, and then we'll pray. It <laughs> starts comically. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they're so large and are driven by so strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire. Look at this phrase, the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. God, we thank you for your word that has been read in our hearing. We thank you that it not only has power to reveal the predicament of the bad news of the situation we are in, but it contains good news of great joy for all people, of hope, transformation, renewing, wisdom for life, and ultimately the gift of eternal life, our final destination. God, I thank you that you have become for us wisdom from God. You are our righteousness. You are the leader each of us needs. And you want to speak to us to adjust the use of our words that we might alter our course and experience more of your blessing, more of your peace, more of your love, more of your joy, and more of the inward transformation that we all earnestly desire. And so we pray, God, that you would speak to each of us Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak, to open our ears to hear, to give us eyes to see and minds to understand. We love you and we're eager to hear from you. Speak to us now in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. So we have um, three daughters and a son. Our three daughters are typical girls. They listen just super well. 
Uh, when they were really young, I used to be able to say, stay close to daddy. And they would just stay right there. Julian, not so much. Uh, he's always just wanted to dart off and go his own direction. He sees things. He wants to go investigate. He'll just take off. And so from the time he's been walking, I've been holding him. And you know, the dad hold is not the hand. You get a much better grip around the wrist, right? And so get him around the wrist and he'd go taking off all the time. And so I'd always keep him near me, keep him safe. And as he's gotten bigger, that, that moves from the wrist to he wraps his hand around daddy's thumb and then I hold the rest of his hand. You guys know this, you remember from early childhood. And then it goes to, he ends up really listening better. And so he's got kind of his hand kind of resting on mine around my, my index finger. And I got kind of just one little thumb. And if he ever darts, I give him a little squeeze and he starts to respond to that. Um, and so he's, he's been a little challenging. The, the hardest part though, I did not see coming is now he's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And while he still needs daddy to keep him safe and keep him close, now he realizes the power of what I've been exerting over him. And so he will grab me by the pinky and the thumb and just wrench my fingers apart to get me to go in the direction that he wants. And it works really well. Uh, he'll, he'll just come over and grab my pinky innocuously enough. And then before you know it, I'm being pulled along in the direction he wants to go. And I'm saying, bud, ah, he's really strong, really hurts. He'll do this thing too, where he grabs my pocket or my shirt. He'll just rip my shirt from being tucked out. He'll just grab me and pull me along. He's recognized that there are some, some small points of contact that ultimately can get dad to go in the direction that he wants him to go. James uses the same illustration for the power of our words and the way that they direct the course of our lives. Talking about horses with bits and bridles, talking about ships and rudders. And this is kind of like generic and general wisdom for life. There's an ancient Chinese philosopher who coined this kind of saying of watch out for your thoughts they become your words, which become your actions, which form your habits, which become your character, which informs your destiny. And so there is a straight line between what you think about, how you feel, what goes on on the inside of you, how that is initially expressed in what you choose to say out loud about the world to the people around you and where your life ends up and how it gets there. Now, the good news of the gospel is that we have a God who speaks. He does not leave us in silence. He is not a God who waits for us to come find him. He's always the God who reveals himself. He's the God who takes the initiative. And when there is a world that doesn't want to hear and who rejects him, he makes special covenants with individuals and families. He has worked through Abraham and his family, through Israel and its nation, through Jesus and its Messiah, and now to the church. And we are meant to be bringing good news of great joy to all people. Isn't it true? We have a God who speaks in 66 books. You can find him alive and well and ready to inform your soul and feed you of whatever you need every single day. We do not have a silent God. We have a God who sees where he wants to take us, eternal life with him. He knows the route he wants to bring you that's going to be your highest good and the highest good for the world, your revelation and understanding of who he is. He wants to do powerful things in you and through you and for you every day. And he has become for us a good shepherd if we will listen to his voice and follow. Isn't it true? And so while it's true that our own tongues can in fact direct the course of our life when disconnected from God's life-giving spirit and the leadership of the Lord Jesus. It is more true that those of us who have bowed the knee and invited the Holy Spirit in and have submitted ourselves to God and every day turn to his word to be informed, we find our thoughts changed, our beliefs changed, 
our words changed, our actions reformed, our characters being developed after the image of Christ, and ultimately God leads us in the destiny that he has in store for us. Do you see this? And so there really isn't a lot of pressure on us to get where God wants to take us. However, 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 it is very easy for us not recognizing the power of words to haphazardly be working against the power and activity and movement of God that he wants to do in our hearts by believing untrue things, maybe words spoken us over, over us, maybe fears that we have that give way to belief systems, maybe a worldview that's based less in God's revelation and more in the world's empty philosophy. And so what we're seeking to do and what James is trying to do for his readers is to bring into alignment the use of our words as an expression of our thoughts, beliefs, and worldview so that the course of our life is not only led by God, but we are able to, as the director of operations for our life. If you're a Christian, you are no longer the CEO. Can I get an amen? You said, I am sinking this corporation and we need a new boss. And you brought Jesus in and he sits at the end of the boardroom table. But you are still the director of operations, aren't you? And so James is saying, consider what your tongue does to alter the course and direction of your life. Last week, we looked at our words as containers. We talked about Tupperware and Amazon packages and how we're always delivering either in large or small doses, life or death. Constructive communication or destructive communication. There is no neutral communication. And so I was admonishing all of us, myself included, to activate restraint, to shut up a little bit, to put a filter on. How many of you guys, hashtag no filter, raise your hand. I got it too. Logaria, we call it, uh, just keeps coming. And so we want to say, let's say less, let's talk less, let's contain, let's contain our mouth, our tongue, so that we recognize that what we are delivering is more often life than death. And so we want to activate restraint. We also have to recognize the reality that James also shows to us that our words do in fact direct the course of our lives. And so in addition to restraint, it's also incumbent upon us to activate purpose and not only to shut up, but also to speak up. And I know that's a little bit of an irony, but this is what James is drawing our attention to. Now, I think this is more important than ever for people in our generation. I think if you rewind the tape 100 years, the world was still, people were still the same, the world saw the same problems, but there wasn't as much noise. Can we just stop to recognize how just incessant the noise level is? We have we have streaming content coming from every screen in the house, every speaker, every billboard, everywhere we turn, every advertisement. There is a worldview and an appeal and a thought system and a belief, assumptions that are being fed to you that we don't even think about, that we're imbibing and taking in and connecting with. And they're feeding and feeding off of those old insecurities and wounds and fears, seeking to manipulate us. And they do not stop, do they? I mean, I'm playing little video games with my daughters that they've downloaded to my phone. And even in the middle of these free games, you have to watch an ad. And the ads are, are messaging them and influencing them to, to, to turn them into their own product and to sell them to somebody else. It is insane to me the amount of noise. We have so much going on all the time. And not only that, the fact that our, our phone, our streams, our news feeds have come into our personal device 
we are also living in a world where we think we are more connected than ever. You can open your phone and have access to 1,000 or 2,000 people. You can send a text message, a Facebook message. You can scroll through your Instagram feed or your Facebook feed. You can hear from and read about and look at the lives of dozens and dozens and dozens of people before you've taken your third sip of coffee in the morning. And yet, you are more disconnected from those people than you've ever been before. And so we're living in this loud world that has this, this kind of air of connectivity. And the reality is that more and more people are feeling more isolated and more disconnected and more depressed than ever before. And the reason is that God made us for relationship and personal interaction. And we've traded in a few important and valuable connections with people for an onslaught of disconnected messaging that's just overwhelming. Do you guys remember static you remember white noise? Remember driving from state to state and the radio station giving out as you got too far away from where you originated that FM station? The reality is, is that we have a crisper feed than we've ever had. And yet it really is all just white noise, isn't it? And we let that go in without filtering it. And a lot of times what starts to come out is merely a reflection of what we haven't realized has gone in. And because of that, we're not connected with the reality that James wants to draw us into. And that is that our words are leading our lives. And so our thoughts become our words, become our actions, become our habits, become our character, shape our destiny. Our words direct. I don't think this is illustrated more clearly than in the proliferation of text messaging. And I'll be honest with you, I mean, I mean be a little humbling. I'm already doing that this morning a little bit. Um, I remember when I got my first text message on my Nokia 3310. Did you guys have one of these? This was the cell phone I had in 2001 when I got my very first text message. And I thought to myself, how annoying. Couldn't you have just called? Do you remember feeling that, having thoughts like that? And of course, this was back when, when uh, nine key was the way you had to text back. So you're like four, four, six, 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 seven. You know, like you're like, and I had friends who grew up with this. Like in high school, they would be like nine texting from their pocket without even looking. <laughs> just furiously tapping away. And they, they were nailing it all. They were just getting the message out. I was never like that. And I remember having this thought, genuine thought. I may have even said this out loud to some people. I remember seeing this, talking about text messaging. And I was like, I don't think this is going to catch on. No one's going to want to go to so much trouble to send a text message when they could just call the person. Like, it doesn't make any sense at all. But of course it has caught on, hasn't it? And not just because all of our smartphones have a QWERTY. It's caught on because it's easier for us to communicate without having to be personal, isn't it? It's easier for us to lob information at somebody and walk away than it is to have to engage with a person and be kind and courteous and respectful and patient and show niceties and interpret tone of voice and body language. And so it's easier for us to just throw bunches of stuff out there. And we all hate it. We act like we, we like the fact that we can be disconnected, but you know the feeling when you text somebody and while you finish sending the text and you're still looking at your phone and you see those three little bubbles pop up and then they disappear and then no text back. You're like, you ghosted me, you know? And you're waiting, maybe it's hours or days, and then bing, the message finally comes in, or they, they give you that, uh, you know, I forgot to hit send message. That's like the Christian, like God told me to do it. 
Like, what can you say to that? Oh, you forgot to hit send. That's what it was, huh? Dirty liar, you are. Who knows? Who knows? But it's easier for us. We prefer the disconnection and the isolation uh, as opposed to the interpersonal communication. And this is part of the world we live in. And it's no wonder that more and more and more young people are reporting high, high degrees of depression and isolation and att- attacks on self-worth and suicide rates are up and addiction. Why? Because we weren't made for this environment. We weren't made for it. And so I, I'm always trying to turn it off. If you see a profile of mine on social media, I am never on it. So I don't, I don't want to be on there. I try to turn it off as much as possible. I have to be careful how much podcasts I listen to and how much news because it's all going in and it's shaping a perspective. And that perspective is finding a home in my heart. And whether I like it or not, it's shaping my thoughts and it's coming out in my words. And those words are directing the course of my life. Now think just practically for a minute. When you speak, there is both an objective and a subjective impact. The objective impact is what happens to the people who hear the words who are coming out of your mouth. This is a delightful experience for young parents as your children grow up and they start playing back for you the things that you say all the time, kind of like a parrot, you know? Who, who says that? Well, you say that, dad. Oh, do I? You see, when we speak, we create an impact on the people who hear us and that impact shapes them and what they do comes back to shape us, doesn't it? Because we are all interconnected. And so there is an objective impact. Tiffany's really good about this. Um, so our son, Julian, I mentioned already, you know, he gets, he's five years old. He has a lot of energy he needs to dispel every single day. And so you have a day where it's raining all day or by the time he can get outside, it's pouring and he's stuck in the house. By bedtime, he is running around like a banshee. He is screaming and hollering and everything's a game and it's super, super loud. And sometimes he'll just go kind of berserk. Like you're like, where did that come from? And so we started doing this thing where we'd say, Julian's being crazy. He's being crazy. And Tiffany will stop us because what she observed is that when we say Julian's being crazy, he decides, oh, I am crazy. And he gets attention when he's crazy. And so he, he's crazier. And he decides that he is crazy. And so he acts crazy. And then that, the talking about it actually increases the frequency and the intensity of his crazy. Do you see how this works? And so she's, she's like, whoa, whoa. we're not going to say he's crazy. Julian didn't get enough energy out. Let's go walk around the block or let's run around the dining room table 27 times or whatever it is. We're going to find a solution that's based in action, not in identity. Do you see that? The words we say have an impact on the people around us, an objective impact. The same can be true for a subjective impact. Consider your own words as an expression of your own beliefs. We do this thing where we say words that express something we think, even if we haven't thought it through or held up to God's word. We kind of just think it and we say it. And even ourselves saying it reinforces the thing we thought in the first place. And so we end up in a spiral. And this can actually be super, super damaging. You can be very insecure about yourself. And as a, as a way of overcoming that, kind of be a little braggy or have to be the center of all your stories or only talk about the good things you do. And you start talking and talking and talking about yourself that's so much better than you actually are, you'll start to believe it. You know what happens? You end up to be a delusional old man who tells stories that people who were there go, that's not how that happened. Do you understand? And so there can be this downward spiral of delusion as we lead ourselves around by words that are based in things we fear and not even things we feel. And so there's a subjective impact. I was thinking about this as well. 
We live uh, beachside in Daytona, right near International Speedway and between Maine and International Speedway. It's like the tourist district. And so every time there's an event, all of the people who come from out of town into town end up within pro- you know, a block of our house. So even this morning, some kind of truck event going on this week. You guys seen all these big trucks? It's 5 a.m. My children are asleep and I'm hearing giant diesel trucks drag racing down International Speedway Boulevard, revving their engines. It's, it's super annoying. But... If I, around my family and to myself, continue to complain about all of the downsides of living in the redevelopment district, oh, the tourists, oh, the traffic, oh, the vagrancy, oh, the drug addiction, another bike stolen out of the yard, and you talk bad and bad and bad and bad and bad, and the kids talk bad, and they hear us talking bad, and they complain, and they complain to their friends, I guarantee you it's going to be about two years before we're looking for houses on Zillow in a cul-de-sac in Port Orange. However if we continue to celebrate the fact that we're a three-minute walk from the ocean, that a sunrise is available every single day, access granted, that we can sit on our front porch and in the middle of July experience the sea breeze in any direction, that, that we have instant access to the beach in the summertime when the parking fills up and people are stuck in traffic trying to get to the sand, we just walk down there stick our chair in the sand, right? There's all these benefits to living where we live. And like anybody else, there's, the ne- there's a negative side, a positive side. But as you talk about one or the other, you are leading yourself in a way that's going to shape how you feel and then what you do and ultimately where you end up. Do you see this? Okay, I don't want to belabor that. But here's the good news. While these realities are kind of generic for everyone, if you're a, if you're a, an ancient Chinese philosopher and you've recognized this reality. It's just part of the human experience. And James is recognizing it and drawing our attention to it. He's bringing us to the end of the road, which is no human being can tame the tongue, which means you're effectively hopeless. This is why some monks have decided to take a vow of silence. I'm just going to say nothing because that's better than anything because something will get me into trouble. But last week, we talked about activating restraint, shutting up a little bit. This morning, I want to talk about activating purpose and speaking up a little bit. Because the reality is, is that the the transformation that needed to happen has happened. The heart that used to lead us astray as it expressed itself in words of despondency, depression, anger, malice, and slander has been replaced with a heart that has faith in God that speaks life and faith and joy and hope for the future. And so we are not fighting against the current of our own hearts only. We are working with the power of God at work within us by the Holy Spirit. And we are aligning our words and our thoughts with his thoughts and his words. And when that happens, it's a recipe for success. And so we have great news. Yes, you cannot tame the tongue, but you have the power of the Holy Spirit and he can change your thoughts. And as a man thinketh, so does he go. And so we want to not not put all the pressure on us to, to, to take control of our tongue. We want to go to God to let his word influence our thoughts so that what comes out of us is life and leads to life. And maybe you haven't had this experience yet. And, and the same is true. I mean, the transformation happens just as I said it. Look at Paul, the way he writes in Romans 10, 8 to 10. He says, the word is near you. The word being the gospel, the good news, the fact that man was hopelessly lost, but God became man so that he might become for us what we could not be. And in exchange for him, 
we become the righteousness of God. He bears our reproach and burden, dies in our place on the cross, is victorious over death, sin, and the grave, conquers the evil one, sets people free, and gives us a new heart. We become the children of God. We are joined with Jesus in death, raised to new life, and now we are inhabited by the Holy Spirit and emissaries of God, uh, ministers and mediators of a nation of priests, and this is why we are here. And so we have 100% access to God 24-7. We have the work of God on the inside of us and on the outside of us. We have access in prayer. We have a mind to understand God's word, and he's preserved for us the scriptures. And so we have what we need, the word, and this word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you are the boss, I am not. I cannot be in charge, I need you. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so this begins with you taking God at his word, letting that truth come in, believing it in your heart by faith, and then speaking it out. And that first act of obedience to God of confession to say, Jesus, you are Lord, I am not. That is when the power begins. And now we look to God to lead us. And this means we have, we have access to power that the rest of the world doesn't have. You know, I listen to a lot of podcasts, um, thera- therapeutic podcasts, uh, lots about psych- psychology and, and affirmations is a really big thing right now. So many people are being instructed in affirmations. I thought this was kind of something we tried and got over. You guys remember uh, Stuart Smalley? I am good enough. I am smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. You know, you look at yourself in the mirror and you say these things and it's a little silly, but there's actually like scientific sociological evidence to suggest that doing this every day, you actually start to convince yourself it's true. And whether you're delusional or not, your your inner self feels better and it actually improves your outcomes. And it's because of this reality. Now, now this isn't gonna lead you to eternal life. Uh, This may improve your Tuesday. Uh, I don't know. But, But we have something so much more powerful than that. And so I want to ask you this question. If you don't already know the answer, where are you going? Where do you want your life to go? Where do you want to be in a year from now, five years from now, 30 years from now? What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind for your children and grandchildren? Where do you want to spend eternity? If you haven't asked these questions, then you haven't recognized the power of your words to direct and the power of God to overcome that untamable tongue. Look at verse Two. Actually, let's, let's skip that. We already went back that. I kind of already covered that. Um, activate purpose. Let's talk about speaking up. It's important that we learn to speak up. I remember hearing a story about a woman who after 50 years in a loveless marriage told her husband that she was leaving him. And he said, why do you want a divorce? And she said, you never tell me you love me. He said, I told you I loved you the day I married you. And I'll let you know if I change my mind. Is that a winning strategy, ladies? No, it's not. We got to learn to speak up. Speak up. Use your words. Uh, we used to listen to uh, Daniel Tiger on PBS, public broadcasting. You guys listen to Daniel Tiger? Any young parents got Daniel Tiger? He's got a couple zingers um, learned talking about restraint. You guys remember, um, when you feel so mad that you want to roar, take a deep breath and count to four, right? That really works. Think about that activating that restraint. I mean, think about it. 
Just think about the practical aspect of, of taming your, of your tongue. Now you have the power of the Holy Spirit, but if you just, as a person, even without the Lord, just a few of these tools, you, you don't want to lie anymore, right? I've committed, I'm not going to tell a lie. Well, you'll also find that when you're about to do something that you would not tell the truth about, you will stop because I'm not going to lie about that thing. And so the choice in here affects your life out here. Do you see it? Same thing goes for Daniel Tiger in anger. You want to stop saying mean things that you regret and yelling at the people you love? Well, don't, don't even start letting the anger come out. When you feel it, contain it here and watch all the things you don't say. And now you've, you've kept the people that you care about the most from experiencing maybe the verbal abuse that they may otherwise have experienced. Same thing can, can, can go for not bragging and needing to criticize other people. If you need to constantly build yourself up by one-upping everybody, there's a comedian that talks about that. He says, uh, I had two wisdom teeth taken out. And somebody interrupts, I had four. I had four wisdom teeth taken out all on the same day. And I was chewing by lunch, you know? Like you have to just go a little further, a little further, a little further. If you recognize you're that person, you ever seen yourself on video? talking and you're like, oh, it makes me sick to my stomach to listen to myself talk. And you go, I'm just going to shut up. You know, if you, if you turn down that impulse to brag or to criticize or tear down other people and you just don't do it, you know, what'll end up happening is that people will start to experience you as a, a good listener and they will want to be around you and they will invite you places and you will have friends. And this will be a different outcome than if you hadn't made that change in here. Do you see how this works? And so it's practical and for everybody, but we have something bigger and stronger and more powerful. Let me close here with Ephesians 4.29. It's on the screen or you can turn there in your Bible. Um, look at how all this kind of comes together. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. So we activate restraint, but only such as is good for building up. And so we activate purpose as fits the occasion. And so this is appropriate talk. This is in keeping with the situation. And for this purpose, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do you see the generosity and the power of the words that we speak? They can actually communicate grace to the people who hear us. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Remember, we are in a relationship that's not just with us and our hearer or us and our psyche. God is present. And so how does what I say affect how God feels? Is he grieved by what I say? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, these are internal emotions and feelings, and clamor and slander, these are words that we speak, either in a crowd or to another person, be put away from you along with all malice. And so we take all that negativity and we stop it here and we grab a hold of it here. And by the power of the spirit, we purge it away through confession. And then in verse 32, it says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so you end up with this opportunity to apply what you've experienced, to let God's good news of forgiveness and hope and love and encouragement meet you, alter you and your feelings on the inside. And while you've activated restraint to hold back the anger and malice and clamor and slander, and you've put it away, you've replaced it with the miracle that God has done by his Holy Spirit. And this is not something we can do by ourselves. We were dependent upon God to do this. And so we let that come out and we speak with purpose. It gives grace to people who hear. Now here's, here's where we want to end. You know, we have this gift of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things the Holy Spirit does so well is he brings to mind the truth of God's word 
and he empowers it in us to transform our thinking. We've got to learn to turn down all of the white noise and the static and all of the many influences and all of the appeals to our, our basic fear and greed and put those things away. And we've got to turn up the word of God. Listen, Psalm 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts towards God. You see the communal aspect of this? We're sharing these things together and we're, we're giving thanks to God. We're worshiping him and we're, it's pouring over to all of us. We're in an environment that is immersing everyone in truth and love and hope and the power of God. And we're tuning out the negativity. We're reshaping our inner feelings and worldview so that what comes out leads us to life because our words direct our course. Psalm 37, 30 and 31, the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. And lastly, and I think most importantly, John 15, seven, Jesus says to his disciples, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What kind of promise is that? What kind of power is that? I don't know how bad your situation is, what kind of adversity you face in your relationships, what your level of depression or hope looks like, but I can tell you that there is a God who's ready to answer your prayers and he's inviting you to allow his words to abide on the inside of you. And when we do this, we encounter by faith the power of God. And he says that he's gonna do a work that's gonna look in us like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And when he does that work on the inside, what comes out are words of life. And those words of life benefit the people around us. They direct the course of our life. And ultimately they lead us day by day where God wants us to be. And eventually at the end of our life, where God wants to bring us. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you are the one who is at work to set us free from the destructive power of the tongue. God, you are the one who saw us and sees us in our weakness, brokenness, and woundedness. And you are the one, you are the one who can bring about a change. So we don't look to ourselves and our power over our own tongue. God, we look to you and your power to change our hearts. God, we pray that as we fill ourselves up with the truth of your word, as we learn and grow and commune with you and others, God, that you will do the miracle of transformation, giving us a new heart. Lord, that you will replace the old fears and desires, God, with new hope and passion. God, that what comes out of our mouths would give grace and fit the occasion, that we would not grieve the Holy Spirit. God, that we would be a people who are kind to one another, tenderhearted and forgiving each other as you, Lord, have forgiven us in Christ. God, I pray these words would find a home in our heart and that you would create an appetite in us for more. God, we love you and we welcome you into our inner space to do this transformation and to change the direction of our lives. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand. Our prayer teams are here. If you have any need of prayer during this last song, it's a great time for them to pray with you or for you. Let's turn our attention to the Lord.